West Coast skiing and like the Rocky Mountain skiing that I grew up with. I didn't grow up in the Rockies, but I would go on ski trips every year. Um, and then I got used to when I lived in Denver. It's like the powder in like Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico is just so freaking dry. Um, like you can go up to your car when it's on like your windshield and just blow at it and like all of it goes off. And out in the Pacific Northwest, it's a lot heavier because you're closer to the coast. So there's just more humidity in the air. Um, and so like powder days just hit a lot different. Yeah, you, ha you have to work a lot harder in the snow. Um, you have to be really cognizant about picking up your like uphill ski when you're turning or doing jump turns. Cause, uh, if you don't, then you'll try to turn by just, you know, edging your ski, uh, to the left or the right. And then you'll just get stuck in, in the, in the powder. It's like turning through concrete. Sometimes. Oh, that sounds honestly, I miss it, but that sounds kind of miserable to say the least. Yeah. Hey, it's still, Hey, it's still skiing though. You know, like you can't, I can't really complain like Mount bachelor where I went last week and it's a great mountain. It's the sixth largest, uh, in, in, in the U S in terms of skiable acreage. So Ooh. yeah, man, that sounds, oh. I'm, I'm getting back. I can't ski this season cause I tore my Achilles, but next season I'll be back ready to rip. Oh, Honestly, yeah, I'm at that point in life where it's like, you can't, do every single sport that we did when we were like college age kids like and now it's like the sport i care about is snowboarding and so i got hurt at the worst time and now it's like i missed the whole stuff so whole season it but, sucks too because it was such a it's, a it's been a legendary season for the pacific yeah, northwest just, rub, so rub it in just go ahead rub rub that rub that in deeper <laughs> just twist twist the knife while you're at it too but ladies and gentlemen Welcome to another episode of Late Night Bitcoin. I am your host, Hugh, and I'm joined by none other than my good friend, Colin Harper, the man behind all things Luxor Mining, one of my favorite longtime crypto journalists or Bitcoin journalists, excuse me. Okay, I'm not going to get triggered. <laughs> um, Colin, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I will ask Thanks you, for having me on, Q. Dude, Super of excited. Of course. This has been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, but I'll... We will revisit skiing possibly in a moment, um, but for now, I want to ask you the same question I ask everyone when we start the show, which is, what was or when was the first time you ever heard about Bitcoin, and what was your initial reaction? So you're not going to believe this, but the first time I heard about Bitcoin was actually in 2009. Um, I'm not shitting you. Satoshi? I, I was, huh? Satoshi? <laughs> yeah. I was um, Satoshi. I believe that was the sentence that was completed. So we're just gonna go ahead and clip that. Yep, cool. All right, cool. If, if you see a video of you circulating uh the interweb, don't worry about it. Yeah, another fake Satoshi uh meme making making the rounds. Colin Harper Satoshi, you heard it here first, y'all. Um <laughs> but yeah, so it was 2009 and I was in I was a freshman in high school and I was sitting at lunch and one of my buddies, this absolute grease greasy fucking kid named Hunter Johnson. Um it just he's a character. Uh but anyway, he was he was like a 4chan kid, right? I mean like you know the type, like kid who grew up with the internet and just had no boundaries and just found like pretty you know smart kid could find his way around the internet and figure out anything he wanted to do. But anyway, he was a 4chan kid and he was always plugged into things and he had found out about Bitcoin somehow through some forum and he was trying to explain what mining was. Like he was like, oh, the Bitcoins are in your computer and you have to find them. And I was like, that sounds weird, um, which, you know, it's, he wasn't necessarily wrong. Like all the Bitcoins are on the blockchain. Um, you just have to find the right nonce to unlock the next block. Um, 
but uh, all of that being said, you know, he told me about it and I was like, oh, wow, that's a, a weird thing. I didn't really think about what currency without a, I, I wasn't thinking about money. I was a fucking freshman in high school. Um, I was thinking about football and, and girls um, and video games with my buddies. But um, valid. All yeah, valid right. Things. And so, but I, I remember just thinking like, huh, this is a weird thing. Cause you were saying, you know, you can send, you know, you can send it like money. Um, but it's important because, because of that introduction, Bitcoin was always a thing to me. Do you know what I mean? It was always a thing that existed. So every other time that I was reminded that it existed, I had this little signal in my brain being like, you should probably see what this is. Like, this is still around and like, it hasn't gone away. Oh, and by the way, it's worth 10 X what it was the last time you checked in on it. Um, so that was the first time I heard about it. And then like through college, you know, some of my buddies use it on the dark web for, to, for buying drugs. And that was when it was like 350 or 400 bucks a coin. So. Have you ever talked to this sleazy character from your childhood? From your youth? I have. Yeah. I actually uh, messaged him, uh, shortly after, uh, or I don't know how this happened, but we started like talking on Facebook, um, like Facebook messenger, <laughs> like he found me or I found him. And I think he figured out that I was like into crypto and Bitcoin because I got in, like I really dove in in 2017 and we started talking about it. Um, but, you know, he was just, he was like me at the time. He was just like a total shit coiner, um, you know, just like moon, moon boy eyes just wanted to make a million dollars off of, you know, dog fart coin or some of the ICO tokens back then were crazy, man. Um, like people, it's, it's funny, like half the so much shit a lot of the shit that was peddled again this last bull market was just it's just repackaged right well would you be cool if we go explore that for a little bit because like sure. i i was aware of bitcoin during the ico stuff but like i didn't i wasn't paying attention um sure. i really love the way you frame that around like you know a lot of the stuff we saw in this recent cycle was just recycled from there Mm-hmm. let's go let's talk the icos like talk to me what was the stupidest ico a that you bought b that you just saw generally so the dumbest ico i bought probably was this one called substratum um okay. and substratum was so i didn't actually buy the ico the only ico i bought was engine coin and engine coin was like a gaming cryptocurrency that actually ended up performing really well um, i didn't hold on to it um i didn't really make any money in shit coins um but uh, and then the other one was this one called Substratum and Substratum was trying to be like a mesh network, um, which, you know, like the idea of a mesh network is really cool. Uh, you set up nodes and then you send radio signals in order to connect to the internet and you can provide internet access in places that have very little internet access. But it was trying to use all these crypto economics to get people to like run the nodes and you would use the Substratum token to pay for shit. Um, so that was probably i'd say in terms of actual technical feasibility the dumbest one i bought um if not something like stellar or xlm you know i just like i just bought all these shit coins and they just and the white papers were so crazy like they'd be it'd be like 60 pages and looking back it's like how did you fit that much trash into like how did you have that much of a concept to actually try to sell to people um, because some of them in their defense are actually trying to be legitimate things. Like there were some things that were built on ETH, like Bancor, which was a, uh, decentralized exchange and things like that. that legitimately had some sort of like grounding and technical reality, but then there was just a bunch of crap on top of it. I think probably the, the funniest thing though, to me, um, recycled stuff from the last bull run, 
um, are NFTs. People don't remember this, but there was like a brief window in December of 2017 where Ethereum was clogged with CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties had just come onto the scene and everyone was minting them and you could breed them and shit. And it, people went crazy over them. That was the first time you saw like an NFT selling for like a like million dollars or something like that. Um, anyway, I, I think the NFTs getting recycled to me says something about what people value outside of the Bitcoin or crypto ecosystem. Like I actually think it's an interesting case study and like how you get people interested in these systems in the first place. Cause it's just like, Ooh, like shiny picture. Like we're just a bunch of fucking apes, you know, running around on the internet. Uh, don't, uh, don't remind me how simple we are as human beings, please. I haven't smoked enough weed to, to go down that rabbit hole yet, but it's soon enough. Um, like, and I'm not trying to pick on you when I ask this, but did you ever, A, before you bought any of these shit coins, like, did you ever fully read these white papers? And did you ever see something like just absurd? Like, oh, wow, you really just put filler in for like six pages straight. So I definitely read some of the white papers. I did my research, but it's like, you know, giving ancient Latin to someone who can barely <laughs> read English, right? Like, you're not going to know, you're not going to understand what, what you're reading or where even the problems are. So, or I guess a better example would be like giving like a peer reviewed, like scientific paper to just a layman. Right. And they don't know, they don't know what any of the variables are. They don't understand what a variable even fucking is. Um, all the equations, like the N equals whatever, like none of this shit makes sense to them. Right. So um, I think like in hindsight, once I learned more about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Yeah, a lot of this, there would have been so many red flags, but um, like a lot of people, I kind of bought into the, you know, uh, blockchain is the internet and it's going to disrupt everything. When I really think the better analogy is like Bitcoin is the internet of money, like to quote Andreas Antonopoulos, I think he coined that. Um, and, you know, that's really the breakthrough. And then as to whether or not blockchains have applications that are beneficial to society outside of that is kind of, in my opinion, still up in the air. I could see why certain people would like things like Ethereum um, or other, you know, protocols that let you do decentralized finance or whatever. Um, but I don't really see any serious anchoring. Um, I don't see any ideas that are seriously anchored in those systems. Like everything that you're trading on Ethereum is, um, you know, it, it, a lot of them are just tokens that got airdropped to people or just projects that were spun up and like liquidity begets liquidity. So all the whales jump in on something and they jump in on another thing and they use their tokens to farm out this thing. You know, kind of a tangent, but. No, no, no. I, I think like look, most of the people who are, who are listening to this conversation probably agree with the notion that the many of these other shit coins are just pump and dump schemes, but for the for the one person who may just be out there like genuinely learning like let's unpack just this idea of how these shit coins end up getting pumped by just the same five wallets if you will right um, can you walk through just an example of like well you and i decided we've, we've made shit coin hash it's called the hash coin if right. you're a stoner you want to own the hash coin because it's the only way you can access weed online now so yeah. how are we how are we scamming people with hash coin yeah so i mean i think the general playbook for a lot of like 2017 icos and later was just you know pay for a fake community there are a few like cornerstones it's like so number one obviously you got to launch the coin 
you got to pay exchanges or you got to know an exchange to list you to get liquidity. Um, and usually a lot of this payment is in the form of the token that you're, you know, launching. Sometimes you're actually paying Bitcoin or Ether or something else because, you know, at a certain point, the exchanges are probably like, how do I know this is going to be worth something? You got to give me something a little more to sweeten the deal. Um, and then so once you have the exchange integration and like the coin uh, off uh, off the ground, you want to just build a community by paying for followers, paying for shills to go on Reddit, Twitter, all these different things. Um, and then you're just going to be spoofing volume on the exchange, uh, either make having the exchange make fake uh, orders or making fake orders yourselves. And what ultimately ends up happening is you'll have these guys who create, they'll create multiple shit coins and just roll the gains into another shit coin. And this was especially prevalent in terms with DeFi, like DeFi summer of 2020 and the bull market last uh, in 2021 and 2022, you know, you'd have a project launch up a coin and then the coin or it'd be an airdrop and appreciate in value. And then someone on Uniswap would create a market for that coin so that you could lock it up and then, um, you know, yield farm with it. Right. Or lend it out to someone else to make uh, well, I guess that is what yield farming is. You're lending it out um, to uh, make interest on the deposit. Um, and so in, in Ethereum, it was like, you know, I mean, it's, it's basically just mimicking the current financial system, like, you know, create debt, Create a, create a token that you then lock up to create debt. It's like taking dollars, putting it in a bank account and creating debt from that um, as a financial institution. Um, and Ethereum made this especially easy because you don't even need to build your own blockchain for Ethereum. You know, you can just use a token standard like ERC-20 um, or for an NFT is ERC-721. Uh, um, and there you're good to go. And that's why 2017 was especially pernicious because it was just all these fucking Ethereum um, ICOs. And the last bull market was really more um, co competitor focused. You know, you had a lot of layer ones that were trying to compete with Ethereum come onto the scene, like Solana, um, Binance Smart Chain, all these other things. Um, you know, and that happened in 2020, 2017. The problem is there weren't actually applications to draw market share. So none of these competitors actually ended up doing anything. I think the most famous one is probably EOS, a $4 billion I ICO that's worth nothing today. <laughs> Um, there's just so much grift. I, I've, I've been in this stuff for too long, man. It's starting to feel not real. Need to like go out and become like a fucking stonemason or something and work with my hands and get <laughs> do something useful for people instead of talking about imaginary internet coins all day. I mean, I, I hope you know, don't get too jaded just, you know, getting worn down by dealing with seeing all of these scams because your, your voice while luxurious and gorgeous on air is, is powerful and important on paper my friend so um i want to like i've long discussed how coinbase and just like coinbase is the largest example but so many other of these shitty exchanges that we saw something like ftx just absolutely implode and you allude to sort of their almost like their hand in allowing this con to happen Obviously, you know, the creators of these scams, I'm just going to flatly call shitcoin scams for a moment because, you know, yeah. call a spade a spade. They're obviously guilty, the most guilty party. But at a certain point, do we not have to also sort of rethink what these shitcoin casinos are, especially those that receive this sort of pay for play, like, all right, like, 
you're going to benefit by being listed here. And let's go ahead and like, let's also partake in this cash out. Like we're fine with that. And Coinbase is notorious. If you look at the date of when most of these like random shit coins get listed on Coinbase, it's like a short pump to a sell-off. Yeah. My favorite example of that is literally the Coinbase actual stock chart where it pumps up for a little bit, does a, a dip, comes back up, and then absolutely craters. For sure. So the, It's funny. I'll answer your question in a second, but it's funny you mentioned we used to, in 2017, they call it the Coinbase effect. Because you know, back then, you could only buy Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ether on Coinbase. Um, and then Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. Back then, it was only those three. And then you could buy Bitcoin Cash when the fork happened. Okay. Um, or they added it in like late 2017. But that was a whole thing too because they there was um they got accused of insider trading with the Bitcoin Cash thing because like Bitcoin Cash had this huge run up leading up to the announcement that they were adding it like it like doubled or tripled and like it was something crazy it, it just absolutely exploded um and a bunch of there was some investigation I don't think they ever like got pinned for anything but um but yeah so uh, to your to your question though. Um, the exchanges need to be held accountable to a certain extent, you know, like if it's an actual scam, you shouldn't be giving it liquidity. Um, now the definition of a scam coin, right, is kind of tricky. A lot of Bitcoiners would call Solana a scam. Uh, I would not call Solana a scam. I think it's a shit coin, but it's, you know, like people, the people who are using it are actually using it. Like they, they, they sought it out specifically to trade NFTs or do whatever. Right. Um, it's an overvalued shit coin, but it's not a scam. Right. But there are plenty of actual fucking scams that, especially in the la in the, the 2017 bull market, just went completely, um, you know, either overlooked or people, the, the, the exchange, you know, compliance departments and reviewers just didn't have enough people on staff because they were growing so quickly. Um, there's one, un I think, a hot take here, unpopular amongst a lot of Bitcoiners. Um, and this is something that Jesse Powell talks about a lot at Kraken because he gets a lot of heat for because Jesse's a huge Bitcoiner. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time and he's a big, uh, you know, anarcho-capitalist type, but he gets shit on by the maxis for having shit coins on Kraken. And Jesse basically says, well, adding the shit coins gives us the opportunity to generate revenue that we can then use to improve services that help Bitcoiners or, you know, offer new things to Bitcoiners. Um, if Bitcoiners saw the margins for running a Bitcoin on the exchange, like <laughs> I think they would shit themselves. There's not that much money in just brokering and buying and selling Bitcoin for people. Um, Especially people who only want to participate on the buy side. Of exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For people who only want to participate on the buy side, you know, like um, Swan River is still around. Obviously, it's they're, they're doing well enough um, and I'm happy for them. I want them to succeed. I'm happy that we have Bitcoin only. Uh, exchanges. I think we should, as long as there's market demand for it, then why shouldn't it exist? Um, but on the flip side, I can also say from working at a mining company, you know, like we've got shitcoin pools and you know what bootstrapped our company was shitcoin pools. Cause you know, what's really hard to do starting a Bitcoin mining pool because you know what Bitcoin miners really don't want to do. They really don't want to join your pool when you're like, Oh yeah, like we're a new pool and we've got, you know, the network right now is, is 323 exahashes you know, we don't even have 0.01% of that. How are you going to get it? You know what I mean? How is anyone going to join your pool? You're never going to hit payouts. Um, so, you know, from where I'm standing at Luxor, um, having these shitcoin mining pools for these proof of work blockchains 
has been a good revenue source and has helped us put more time and effort and money into building really cool products for Bitcoin miners. Um, so like, yeah, like we mined ETH in the bull market. That was a big question mark for a lot of people because we launched it like, um, we launched it at like the turn of 2021. Uh, Wait, when did, I'm, I can't remember anything. When did ETH, ETH went to proof of stake in September of 2022. We launched this thing at like the end of 2021 and everyone was like, what are you doing? Ethereum is going to go proof of stake. Like, this is stupid. And we said, we're basically betting that proof of stake is going to get pushed back. And it did. And that bet paid off. The Ethereum pool was super lucrative. So um, I guess the hot take there is shitcoins are sometimes a necessary evil in terms of creating uh, revenue and wealth that you can then be allocated towards Bitcoin. Now, of course, there's the whole argument that if the shitcoins didn't exist, all that money would go into Bitcoin. Um, and I, I understand that. But I also just think that it's naive to assume that people won't try to replicate digital gold. Um, you know, or, or, or try, you know, you, you're going to tell me that some man invents some diamonds and no one else is going to try to create their own diamonds. So. So like, I'll take that last statement and just ask you then, do you ever expect with the exception of some sort of law coming into effect? <laughs> um could you have seen some sort of like yeah honestly shout out p for eating the shoe because of the fucking merge over to proof of stake that was savage that uh, was i i actually had to okay so i i want please bookmark what you're about to say because i want to answer your questions <laughs> i was watching that though i was like there's no fucking way homie is actually eating a shoe bro i was like oh that's an actual shoe Bro, he was like getting sick the whole rest of the day. It was like getting progressively worse. And he was like, oh, I think that canned chili really did me in. We were like, no, I think maybe oh, you're eating a shoe possibly caused you. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah. Good times. Good times. Um, Do you ever expect, with the exception of some sort of law inhibiting the creation of spinning up your own shitcoin, that that will ever, that would ever stop? Like in the next bull run, do you expect shitcoins to exist in some capacity? Shitcoins will always exist. Penny stocks exist, right? So I don't, you know, you'll you'll never get away from them. Um, I think maybe there's an argument to be made that they will have less of an impact as time goes on. Um, you know, there are suckers born every day though. So I don't know. Um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe people will never wisen up to them, but yeah, no, I think they'll always exist. Um, I think the, the question is just, um, in what form do they exist? Um, and does it get to the point where eventually all of the use cases for a blockchain ossify? You know, like you've got Bitcoin for decentralized gold and a decentralized monetary system. Um, you've got Ethereum for like experimental decentralized finance. And you've got like some other fucking bullshit like for like for domain names or whatever, whatever we end up using a blockchain for if we end up using it for anything else. Um, if those kind of uh, layer application layers like layer ones ossify, then, you know, if shitcoins do exist, What's the point? And are they just outright scams? Are they actually trying to innovate? Because there's an argument to be made. 
I'm not as like cynical as other Bitcoiners. I don't think that every single person in a shitcoin company is out there like twirling their mustache with like, you know, a top hat being like, yes, how much money can I scam the normies out of today? <laughs> you know, they're not they're not thinking of most of them are thinking about it like that. I think some of them legitimately think that they're creating something good or interesting in the same way that a lot of people who work for tech companies that are valueless and don't create any revenue also feel like they're building a good product. Um, so, uh, you know, as long as there are people out there, I mean, there's always going to be people who are going to be trying to solve problems with technology that exists. So as long as that exists, there'll probably be shit coins and there are also going to be people who want to scam. And, you know, so I think there'll always be shit coins for that reason too. But, you know, I don't think everyone, I don't, I, I think that uh, most of the coins outside besides Bitcoin are garbage and that's the only thing I hold. Um, I, I don't think that I'm open to the idea that blockchains might be useful for something other than just keeping a ledger of accounts. Um, you know, I don't know what that would be yet. You know, Satoshi said that domains would be interesting and other people have said that as much. Some Bitcoiners think that's stupid, um, just like ENS is stupid for Ethereum name services, but... <laughs> Anyway, people will always shitcoin. How would you feel if the government were to get involved in some capacity and deem things like the broader crypto market? Like say Gary Gensler got his way and was able to classify every single cryptocurrency with the exception of Bitcoin as a security. Would that be something that you would feel comfortable why? Um, because I, I really kind of veer towards the more like libertarian sentiment. I don't call myself a libertarian because I think there's just a lot of stigma around it. Maybe I need to get over myself. I don't really know what I am politically. Honestly, I have a lot of kind of conflicting views on things and confused. Ooh, we're uh, going to unpack that. <laughs> but, you know, I'm generally anti-authority in terms of like, I, see, I would see that as overreach. Um, I know, you know, it's, I'm generally skeptical of, of, you know, uh, government actions for the sense, for the sake of protecting a populace, you know, um, as long, unless it's in like an obvious way, right? Like for instance, um, unless the protection is obvious or beneficial, you know, like certain public services, um, you know, uh, fire departments, police, but if you're saying this will protect you, um, like this informant or enforcement or regulation will protect you. Like it remind uh, you know, it's like, well, can you really make that argument? How do you know? Um, I know that there are some people who get scammed out of it. I also know a lot of people who are smart enough who wouldn't get scammed out of it. Reminds me of the same feelings I have towards other things like, you know, not allowing raw milk to exist. Like you can't just go to the fucking store and buy raw milk. I, I as, a, as an adult who can go out and drink 12 shots of tequila and smoke <laughs> a pack of cigarettes in a night and destroy my body that like I, it's, just, it's absurd to me that consenting adults can't do stuff like that. Um, and so I, I'm generally of the mindset that as long as two parties are interacting in exchange of fair trade that they think is fair and consensual, I don't know why the government should be able should should, should step in and try to prevent it. Um, like, you know, coming in and saying that certain things are securities um, after the fact, I don't really see as helpful. Like, why did they let it happen in the first place? Um, but you know, does that change the fact that some of these things probably are securities in the United States law? No, it doesn't. Um, I think this is a place where a lot of people like throw shit at Bitcoiners and they're saying, ha like you guys are a bunch of statists because you're saying, look, ETH is a security. And I think some Bitcoiners do embellish it a little bit too much and kind of like are cheering on the SEC. And I don't think we should be doing that. But that being said, like pointing out the reality doesn't change the fact 
Um, like pointing out that reality doesn't mean that you're encouraging it. Um, but also on the flip side, I, I don't, you know, prop, you know, I, I could see some, uh, some arguments for why securities law exists, obviously in a, in a modern, uh, society, but applying it to cryptocurrencies that are just crazy meme money anyway, it doesn't make sense to me. I can appreciate that perspective. I want to hear like, what is your most liberal belief that will get you called a socialist now by Bitcoin Twitter? Oh man. Um, I think my most probably like liberal belief is that like, I don't think I don't want single payer healthcare, but I don't think that the idea of trying to provide decent, you know, public, you know, if there's anything your government should be fucking doing, it should be ensuring that you have healthcare. Um, you know, in terms of like, if I were one of my government doing, and I'm not talking about, I want them people also, whenever you talk about this, they don't actually understand how healthcare systems work. They think, well, then you're just going to have terrible providers. And I'm not saying I want the providers to be, uh, you know, uh, socialized by the government saying that people who can't get insurance, get, get insurance. And people will say they have insurance now, but you know, Medicaid and Medicare is dog shit. Um, a lot of places don't accept it. Um, I, I think that that's probably my biggest, my biggest thing, or just like criticisms of the healthcare system in general. I, I think that the right is actually really bad about um, critiquing and understanding uh, the problems with America's healthcare system. They really can't give ground on this one because really the problem is financialization. Um, my dad works in healthcare, unfortunately, and like he works on mergers and acquisitions. And what people don't understand is like all these clinics and all these hospitals are just constantly getting bought out by private equity firms or by companies that are owned by private equity firms. Um, and so there's all this hidden administrative cost on top of owning these hospitals that is totally baked into the cost of what we are paying as, as um, patients. So, you know, I think that there's obviously something pretty piss poor about the system and it needs to be, if you've got good health insurance, it's amazing. My granddad's got health insurance from the fucking fifties when he got, he worked at the same job for years and he has amazing health insurance. Um, I also like this backseat studios. I agree. I'd say that was that that would be the other thing. It's like imagine if we allocated all of that, all of those resources to, you know, medical insurance for people in need. Um, of course, there are downstream. You know, if we do that, there are obviously downstream effects for that. There, there's always you know trade offs for what you do, but. Um, I'd say that's probably my most, or honestly, I think if it's not that, it's probably just some Bitcoiners lean less towards the socially um, liberal side of things. And they're a little more socially conservative. And like some of my best friends are trans and I've got a lot of gay friends and I just, like, I don't want it. I don't want it inserted onto the national conversation in a way where it's the most important thing on people's minds. But I also don't think that we need to be like make these people's lives more harder or more, more harder, more difficult than they already are. I'll allow it. I'll absolutely support that. I think there's a, there's a certain level of privilege you are afforded being an American Bitcoiner. I, I, you're hard pressed to find too many American Bitcoiners who don't have some level of financial comfort and privilege. 100%. Yeah. Um, Have you, have you heard of the way Holland 
does their healthcare system? Probably at some point, but I don't remember. So you'll have to remind me. So it it's quite simple. It is mandatory that everyone has health insurance. And the caveat is based on how much money you make, the government gives you money to then go and get a health insurance plan. Obviously, the more money you make, the less they do, but you have to submit back to them like who your health insurance provider is. So it is mandatory for everyone that if you're making below a certain threshold, they will just give you the funds so that you are fully covered, but you go through a private health care insurance okay. system. I, I kind of fuck with that. Everyone yeah. wins in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, I do too. The fucking Scandinavians, man, have a really good way of merging like capitalism and the state in ways that doesn't fuck with people as much. I'm sure if I live there, it might be a little bit different. Um, but, you know, I, I just hear so many about so many social programs in a lot of those places that just seem so beneficial. I think part of the problem in the U.S., um, and I think this is a fair criticism and often is levied from the right. It's like when you talk about Denmark or Norway, I agree that the they're great designs for these systems or France or something like that. People always say, well, those countries are so much smaller population and ge- a population wise and geographically than the U.S. Um, and I think that unpacking that the broader problem there is not only is it because you could technically have state by state, um, you know, if a state was well oiled enough, you could probably do those things state by state. As long as it had enough tax revenue um, and, you know, had enough funding for that. Um, But part of the problem is, and it's just culturally too, the U.S. is just, you know, so fucking, I mean, this road trip from Tennessee to Oregon is just really kind of just cemented that in my brain. Um, Just how fucking different every single segment of this country is. Um, And there are obviously similarities, you know, where we live right now in Grants Pass, Oregon is very rural. And there are a lot, there are people who fly stars and bars, Confederate fucking flags, right? It's like, that's, you know, that's like back home, man, in Tennessee. But even still, there's just, you know, there are still differences between that, you know, uh, guy in Oregon and the guy back home is doing the same thing. Um, So... I don't think we'll ever get to I don't think we'll ever get to that in the US unless we literally become a totalitarian state. Um, just because I think that um it's just so hard to fucking change things in this country. Unless you get a president who just signs an executive order and says, I don't fucking care. Um, everything else takes so much time and Congress is so dysfunctional. Yeah. I it's hard I'm- to really just fucking have any sort of confidence in the US system, honestly. I, I think at this point, unfortunately, like we're so They've created so many rules and hurdles and roadblocks that if we have to rely on the systems, we genuinely are better off going and seeking yeah. out our own methods. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, right? People are like, oh, well, the U.S. should do this. U.S. government should do this. It's like, do you want them to do that? I think that's the other problem too. It's like in a perfect world, we should have these things. Like, But our government is not well-oiled enough to deliver these things. Um, you know, I just don't. You know, if we did have some sort of single payer system, I just think it would be fucking awful. Um, you know, and that's the main reason why I don't want that. Um, but even if they tried to do what I described and even make just beef up Medicare or Medicaid, they'd probably fuck that up too. Uh, I don't know. They have a good way of, of fucking things up. Um, that's one thing they seem to consistently do. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever? I forget who did this study, but I, I will 
I will cite who said it to me, David Friedberg from the All In podcast brought up how like you can look at all the different industries that the government has gotten involved in. So like healthcare, pretty much ever since Obamacare, you have um, college tuition ever since the start of like federal loans. You have before that, like some oil and gas stuff as well. And in each of these industries, when the government got involved, there became this sort of like or the banking sector in particular, even Mm -hmm. like there became this government backstop. So the cost of it became so bloated because they knew they could just charge whatever. It's why student loan just seems to, or student loan crisis keeps seeming to grow because like Mm -hmm. colleges can just raise tuition because they don't care. It's the government that's going to sign over the money anyways, not really the students. You have the healthcare industry. Well, it's fine because if you don't pay for it, like the government's going to go ahead and pay for it. The banking industry, like we're, we're bearing witness to it right now. Like, they're just taking larger and larger risk and they don't care. They're, they literally don't have people sitting in the risk chair simply because they know like if it comes to it, like we'll get bailed out, like we'll be fine. 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like going back, hitting on the student loan thing. I was talking about this with my father-in-law the other night. He was just talking about, he was talking about how back in the day, uh, when he had a minimum wage job in college, it was enough to pay for his rent. It was enough to like, it was enough to pay for his fucking college if he wanted to, but his dad was covering it. It was like 700 a semester or something crazy. <laughs> um, right. Right. And people always say, Oh, well, you know, that was 700 was a lot of money back then. It was like, yeah, but if you look at ratios of income and minimum wages to, to college tuitions, just no comparison, but he was talking about how, and he could save some money each month even after paying for rent you know going out food uh and things like that um and he was saying god things are just so fucked now and it's funny the thing that he said he was like he was like you know it's really it's really education healthcare that are the worst and it's funny i think people people know right like it you don't have to like show them charts they just realize that it's ridiculous um and i think that you uh hit the nail on the head the the universities are just incentivized to keep jacking rates keep accepting as many students as possible um and you know you have an endless pool of applicants because government's going to guarantee a portion of their tuition and even if that's not enough to care to do the whole thing then you just nudged a few kids who are maybe not going to go to college a little closer because now they don't have to take out a gnarly like they can take you know a, a less gnarly loan um with the you know discover or some other bank right um, and get a good rate from from the federal government. Um, I think the education inflation, Lynn Alden's talked about this a little bit. The education inflation has been kind of crazy, uh, obviously, over the last few decades. And it's possible that like white collar, particularly some of the people in certain you know tech positions have a rough decade going forward. Because um, there's just so many fucking people with credentials floating out there. And if we get a gnarly recession, who, who knows, man? So I got to, I want to expand on this because, you know, student loan stuff, it does hit, hit close to home for me personally. So so I got, I'm biased and I will, I will forever own up to that. However, I will caveat all of it by saying that Elizabeth Warren is actually the fucking worst. And I will explain why not from a Bitcoin sense, but I'll explain it for my fellow progressive Bitcoiners as to why Elizabeth Warren is actually botching the student loan crisis. Preach, brother. 
her second largest donor class is just the education system, the UC, UC school system, Harvard, and the UT school system are three of her largest the U- donors. University of Texas, Austin? Uh, I think it was just University of Texas system. Okay. I'm trying to pull okay. up the exact contributors list, but it's not get. I'm on the wrong website right now. I will find the exact list because I remember seeing this and I was like blown away by who actually donates to her. And okay, UC California, Harvard, US government, University of Washington, State of California, Stanford, UMich, and U- University of Texas, Columbia. So so all, these are all like on her list of the largest donors. Now, why is it that she will only ever say like, let's like wipe student loan debt off. Like, let's just wipe it off. That's all she ever says. But let's be honest. Like if we have kids and they don't actually figure something out here and our kids say like, I want to go to college. Like, dad, I just want to, you know, I want to go for four years. Or hey, I want to be a doctor. Like I need to go through this. I'm going to tell him to be a fucking plumber, man. (laughs) I mean, look, I, I hope to have enough money to be able to, a, my kid doesn't need to worry about taking a loan out. And then B, I'll just say like, you got 250K. You can use it for your education. Or I'll write you the check and go start a business. Go do whatever, do that. I hope, dream, knock on wood one day that our kids will have better better life opportunities than we ever had. Hell yeah. Um, but if they just wipe the slate clean and they don't do anything else, like the tuition rate, like 250K is going to be maybe like two years in a college. Like that's right. not going to be enough for the full four years. But if they allowed students to actually declare bankruptcy on this type of debt, which they're not, this is the only type of debt. You can declare bankruptcy on small business loans, on your mortgage. You can declare bankruptcy on medical bills, but you can't on your college education. You can run up gambling debt. But you know who gets held accountable if we were allowed to start declaring bankruptcy on our student loan debt? Yeah, it's, it's insane. The colleges whose endowments have also grown disproportionately in relation to the growth in the tuition cost. So UT Austin, we're talking about their massive endowment. They want to protect that. So they're going to give money to liberal ass Elizabeth Warren and tell her, hey, we support for giving student loan debt, but under no circumstances can you allow them to declare bankruptcy on it. Mm. All of these schools are donating to her for that reason. And if they're not, I welcome, I welcome anyone to explain to me any other logical. I mean, I think at the very least that, you know, just paying her off to say the things, right. So you don't actually have to even go that far as to even forgive them. Right. Because Elizabeth Warren knows that that's not going to happen. So it's just so funny. So many of they just they're all fucking lie, man. I hate talking about it. No, I love talking about it, but <laughs> um, but they just like, you know, I just wonder like they, they don't actually think the things that they say, right? And so, but I think you're 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 you could be right though, um, that they really don't want um bankruptcy protection. At least the the you know, the banks um don't want that at all. And it really is just a fucking stain on our financial system um that you know these fucking 18 year olds can take out this loan for hundreds of thousands of dollars and not be able to declare bankruptcy on that when it ruins them financially it doesn't make any sense and fuck the banks for doing it man i mean 
student loans sure like we should have student loans but just the level at which they've been doled out over the last two decades it's insane and you know quite honestly man just our whole education system we're pushing kids into higher education for reasons that don't make sense a lot of time I, one of my best buddies from from swanee the little little tiny liberal arts school i went to in bumfuck nowhere tennessee um he uh really smart guy like engineering mind build anything and his parents made him go to school and he was a six-year senior and it's like man that dude didn't need to go to college he needed to go to like a woodworking apprenticeship or like go do something like that um and you know i don't know that's why i was kind of joking earlier about i kind of want to go work with my hands or something but um there's something that feels good about that and i think that our culture for so long uh, you know, venerated, obviously, college degrees and getting, you know, more education, getting everyone through so they can get these great jobs and offices where they don't have to do that manual labor. Um, but we got to have someone to fix toilets and got to have someone to, you know, uh, plow uh, highways and things like that. And those are fine careers. Going back to what I was joking about, saying my kid to be a plumber, you know, I'd be just as happy if my kid was like, hey, I don't want to go to college. I want to go do like an electrician's print, uh, apprenticeship or a plumber's apprenticeship. Be like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever you want to do, man. I just want to be able to furnish you with the tools and the and you know, the know-how to be able to do that. Just make sure he's stacking sets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, what is a conspiracy theory that you 1,000% believe? Oh, fuck. Oh man! Oh, I wish you would have told me this beforehand because I could have like. Oh, you would have done, done a little really, homework. Really? Well, honestly, there, I was there, just there are conspiracy theories that I like. <laughs> kind of, am I almost there? But like, I'm not all the way there. Um, and, and but then there are some that are like, well, duh, dude. Like everyone knows. You know what I mean? Like I'm kind of obviously like the JFK stuff is out in the open now at this point. Um. You know, the fact that the U.S. government had a pl had a hand in 9-11, you know, I, I don't think that that's even really conspiracy anymore. I think that that's pretty, this you know, literally reveals all of that. Yeah, the, I the would think tower. OK, I would love to read that. You're it's also to... been turned into a Hulu series, a Hulu miniseries that that's actually awesome. was very good and underrated, in my opinion. Okay. But I will DM you the details. Thank you. Of this. Um. I guess though, so I guess the one that I believe probably the most is are you from are you familiar with like the work of like Graham Hancock? No. Or um so he's probably this more. like journalist turned amateur archaeologist who has basically written multiple books making the argument that there was an advanced civilization like before like before the or, like are the earliest known civilizations that we have like after the ice age are dated back to like he's like 10 or 12 BC. And he's arguing that before this, before the ice age, particularly even back hundreds of thousands of years, there were civilizations of human beings who were much more advanced than we would give them credit for um, and had access to technology that we may, may not even know exists. And this is basically where the, the story of Atlantis comes from mm. um, is, is that the Atlanteans were an advanced race of beings who were wiped out in an, in uh, what, Graham Hancock and these other um, people believe was uh, the Younger Dryas impact event, which was basically just this massive meteor shower that ended the the last ice age. 
um, and cause the flooding that we often hear about in popular myths like the Epic of Gilgamesh or Noah's Flood, um, or even, you know, there are um, Greek uh, myths of the floods and there are even like um, Native American, or it's not Native American, sorry, it was um, some Polynesian or in Indonesian uh, tribe had some um, crazy flood myth. Anyway, the, the flood myth is, is replicated all throughout uh, multiple different cultures. So anyway, this, this conspiracy theory basically posits that like Atlantis, maybe not as it's like depicted, obviously, in popular culture, but some sort of advanced civilization like the Atlanteans could have existed. Um, you know, I don't know if it's true. I think I like it just because it's kind of cool and I don't, it's probably not feasible, but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to say the least. It's fun to think about. So fair. No, dude, I dig, I dig this stuff. I mean, whew, have you, I forget what it's called now, but there's like a whole theory about like why we haven't met another like species of aliens and whatnot. And that it just might be that we're like so far away from any right. other life form, which is just like so eerily scary. I just run right. a simulation and I don't think is we're that, is that your is that your yeah. oh, conspiracy yeah. theory? So here's here's a here's a fun one to start just chewing your mind on because I I've already I've rolled this joint because we'll be Hell wrapping yeah, in about ten, 10 minutes. I've been ripping the pen secretly down below. So especially with the with the growing success of some of these like AR AI systems, like you saw that I forget what DJ it was created that song with Eminem's voice, got Eminem's approval. And now, like, there's a new just like house music jam with Eminem, who never, never laid down a single word. And people are creating these deep fakes of Trump, of Biden, of Tom Cruise. I'm telling you, point blank, like, we will see Mission Impossible movies until we are old and gray, and Tom Cruise will look younger than us, and we will be older than him. And it, it, begs the question and hear me out on this because what really kicked in during our conversation tonight bro i think we're the npcs and i think our parents generation was actually like the main storyline of this simulation because they like they really came in when everything was great like you you could do anything and you made money for the most part you wanted to sell that's true. Wood? That's done. You Everyone, to... you, you could work. You could work as a fucking manager at a Kohl's, and you would buy your own house, right? Dude, it was like all you had to do was be willing to get a job. The idea of being a deadbeat wasn't this idea that oh, you couldn't get a job. It's no, you wouldn't get a job, right? I like I genuinely believe that we live in a simulation, and that that generation, because you will see the people from that generation, like last longer than any generation before them you don't really know anyone who was around a hundred years ago anymore especially at, at this point like we're hard-pressed to find anyone born before the 1900s so in this under this scenario like all history is fake yes like, oh, no one, okay. like to be honest with you like i think napoleon was just made up <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're on some other shit, my brother. <laughs> I want I mean, to look like at you you're... somewhere. To be honest with you, I think Napoleon is made up. 
There's no way that fucker conquered half of Europe. <laughs> How does a midget go around conquering Europe? Like, I get it. Everyone was supposed to be drunk back then, but genuinely, like, was this guy, was this guy real or was everyone back then just a giant pushover? <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, to be honest with you, I kind of think that because P is 160 years old, that like it only confirms my theory. I mean, only only a 160-year-old simulation man could eat a shoe like that <laughs> and live to tell the tale. Oh, all right, we we ventured way off the Bitcoin trail. We got about seven minutes left, a little less than that. Do we go back on Bitcoin or do we just stay the course? It's up to you, man. It's your show. Ah, we're staying the course. I'm high enough and I enjoy this this part of the conversation. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. So we covered conspiracy theories. We covered, you know, just the rigged game against us. We covered the scams of shit coins. Um, I'm your therapist, and this has been a live recording of Colin Harper's therapy session. What else has been, you know, you moved cross country, you dealt with that. What was what was the coolest place you guys stopped on your move? New Mexico, hundred percent. Okay, I love New Mexico. Do you want to like spill the beans and make that spot like become known for all the like five people who listen to this podcast? <laughs> That's the thing is most people don't want, think about going to New Mexico, right? Because it's like I mean, you know, like Breaking Bad didn't exactly give it the best rap. Like Albuquerque's pretty shitty. No offense to anyone from Albuquerque. The people from Albuquerque love Albuquerque, um, but. Uh, yeah, Meow Southern. Dope. Or, what's up? Meow Wolf's dope. Taos Meow Wolf's dope. Northern Taos New Mexico. Is a little overrated, in my opinion. What's up? Taos is a little overrated. Oh, see, I understand why you'd say that because it is a smaller mountain. Thing about Taos though is it's fucking gnarly. It Everything is. at Taos is steep and it is fucking crazy. Um, so I mean, I, I know what you mean. Like, I, if I had my choice, I would rather go to like. I mean, I'm, I was spoiled growing up. I went to Telluride. It's like my favorite place to ski ever. I mean, I would would rather go to a place like Telluride um, or maybe even like Winter Park or Copper Mountain. Ooh, but I love winter. I love Winter Park. Winter Park's one of my favorites. Uh, it's so fun. It's got a little something for everyone. Um, but Taos is super gnarly and fun. Um, I, I What do I love about New Mexico primarily is it's, it's the same thing as I love about Southern Colorado. It's actually a lot more colorful um then then like what most people think of in colorado like the front range and estes park and stuff like that the the rocks have more color to them they're like super cosmic with all of these really beautiful yellows and reds and oranges and purples um and the food's amazing new mexican food is, is awesome and it's not mexican food it's very much its own take on that tradition so um and white sands yeah i've never been to the white sands uh, backseat studio saying in the chat but i would love to go to the white sands um and also i, I enjoyed driving across nevada nevada is just a weird place man we stopped at this truck stop that was a fucking a truck stop a souvenir stand and a brothel <laughs> like, yeah like there's a brothel in the back <laughs> <laughs> and I, I called up one of my buddies who I used to work with at Bitcoin Magazine, and I was telling him about that. And he goes, "Oh man, I just got so sad just thinking about some trucker stopping there at night, just getting a piece of ass after like a sixteen-hour day on the road." It just in this, it was alien themed too. The whole thing was alien themed. 
Um, Vada is just so weird. Uh, I, I, I fucking love this country, man. It's so big and there are so many amazing, weird, quirky, beautiful things about it. Um, and you know, as I like to always say, a country is not its government. Um, so anyway, uh, I just loved road tripping across the U S so much to uncover. What's one place you you're looking forward to going that you haven't been yet in the U S or broadly? First the U.S. and then broad. Alaska. Okay. Probably Alaska and that's tied with Alaska and Hawaii. That's kind of a cop out, but it's like they're the hardest to get to. And in terms of bio uh, or in terms of climates are the most extreme, I think. Um, You can't get tropical in the U.S. outside of Hawaii unless you go to the Bahamas, um, which is not the U.S., but it's a territory. What does that mean? I don't know. Imperialism is weird. Um, But uh, and outside the U.S., um i don't want to be a bitch and say somewhere in europe because i just i'm such a little europhile i love europe so much um every country is like its own little uh its own little experience i'd say probably like um thailand or something um thailand or honestly maybe somewhere somewhere in the middle east i, I don't know where in the middle east like people in the middle east probably don't like people that look like me no, but, bro, I'm telling you, like, I'm telling you, all you need is for Iran to just chill out for a little bit. And that is probably the best, most welcoming country in the Middle East. And I don't say that as an Iranian citizen. I say that as an Iranian person who understands. Like, well, and Iran used to be super progressive and like it used to be a fucking modern state. Like mm-hmm. that. Ha- I mean, you, women would be walking around in skirts in the 70s and shit. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the best, the best depiction of it I can give you is a story. Uh, my dad told me that from his childhood, um, Iran, like uh, Americans, we don't think to go travel there. It's not to your right. point, Colin, like it was very frequently traveled in the sixties and seventies, especially by European tourists. And there was a random picture my brother, when he was back home in Iran a few years ago, like saw it was like my dad when he was a kid and his family, and there was just like a white family with him. And we were like, what, what? Who are these people? And apparently this French family was just driving through Iran, and they were just lost. And they asked my grandfather, my dad's dad, for directions. And he sort of like helped them figure out where they were going where and how to get there. But then he was like, you know, being an Iranian, like you're like, come, like please come, like, I would love to have you guys come over for dinner. And literally brought this whole family over for dinner. They broke bread. Then he was like, you can't leave now. It's too late at night. Like you guys can have a room in the house. Just spend the night, like spend the night, get some rest. Like we'll have tea and breakfast in the morning and then like be off on your way and like have a wonderful trip. And like that is, that encompasses, I think, how warm generous and kind the iranian culture and people are um and 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 to your point dude a country is not its government it's its people yeah it is for sure and i think you know also that's i found i mean the only interaction i've ever had with the muslim world is in turkey i found the turks and muslim turks to be extremely hospitable and i feel like that's seems to seem be a very uh big tenant in um in, in, in like the Arab and Muslim world is that, is that hospitality. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I just remember when we went to Turkey, man, it was just fucking, that's exactly that. You like go to these villages and people just feed you. They just give you things, you, you know, I would love to visit Iran. I would love to visit the Middle East um, and just travel it. It's sad that the United States has just fucked up so much of it, man. Um, yeah, I I was really lucky. I got to go to Qatar and then the U like Dubai and Abu Dhabi a little bit during this past winter, and that was my first experience just in the Arab world in general. And it it was a very eye opening, and I'm grateful for it. But it like lit this like strange fire in me of like. I have to. A, like I've traveled a ton of America, but like I gotta just go spend. I've said this to my girlfriend. Like we're gonna have to at some point in our lifetime before we have kids, like three, maybe six months in Iran. Just Hell like yeah. I gotta go see that country. I understand, man. It's like the it's like a blood yearning, you know. Like you feel it in your bones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing like the homeland, man. You know. I think that's one of the things that I just love about traveling is seeing people's connection to their homes and, and all of the ways that's expressed. And it's always expressed so beautifully um, in, in food in in um, courtesies that they extend you in hospitality in the ways that the cities are designed in the way that people greet each other, um, you know, and the things that they drink. Uh, travel really is, I, I feel very fortunate to be born in a time when travel is extremely accessible, especially for people who aren't, I mean, you know, if we were born in like the fucking 17, 1800s, man, only the Uber wealthy would have the ability to go halfway around the globe, you know? Um, but I'm, I want to, I want to return a question on the host. Please. Where is a place that you have not visited that you would love to go? Oh, I can I can cop out and say El Salvador, but I'll give you a better answer too. Um, I'd really like to go to Japan. Oh, that's a good one. That's also I, on the list. Yeah, like I really, especially. So I'm a like I've hit you up when you were in Denver because I was just like in a cabin snowboarding and like I go all over the place all the time, and I heard about this thing where there are a few like Japanese ski resorts that were Mm -hmm. created in, I believe the nineties. So like mountainous terrain, trees cleared out. So it's like a a legit, just like trail, but they're abandoned. There are no more lifts anymore, but you can see the pole still there, but there's no actual lift line and there's no chairlift. So you actually have to hire someone to like drive you up there in a um, snowmobile. But because it's an abandoned ski resort, like it's like all this fresh powder on like yeah. fully cleared terrain, but no one's riding it. And I heard about this and I was like, I need to one time. That sounds amazing. It, it would be the equivalent of just like renting out a ski resort for yourself. I'm like, right. Yes, please sign me Absolutely, up. Absolutely, man. That sounds delicious. Yeah. So when, when I plan that, I will shoot you some messages. Hell yeah, I'll you to join me on that. Hell yeah, man. We got we got to do like a more pleb oriented ski trip. I see all the the big dogs in Bitcoin doing their Jackson Hole trip. I'm like, yeah, but like, what about the plebs? What about us? What about the little guys? I'll uh, I'll DM you after the show. There actually, there's something coming up soon. If you want to, it might be a little too close, but I, uh, I unfortunately like I I'm out this ski season. I'm still oh right, of course. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, I forgot you're... about your uh, your Achilles tendon. Uh... Bro, you're fine. 
I'm not exactly like fully broadcasting it, but no, yeah, I still can't like fully walk properly. So still got to get back to that next season. Yes. Oh, 100%. Keep me in the loop. Um, all right. We are over our time. This has been arguably one of my favorite conversations. It's always a pleasure getting to chat with you. Probably going to bother you to come back on. Um, this is uh this is one of the best podcasts i've been on this is super fun (laughs) you are you are far too kind and gracious with your lies but i will leave you with the final word um i I don't know if i have a final word if you're thinking about mining bitcoin think twice it's a lot harder than you think it's going to be um and yeah just try to keep your heads go tell your families that you love them and go find something that makes you happy spiritually and emotionally so beautiful love it call it love you brother and thank you guys very much for tuning in to another episode of late night bitcoin that's 